Welcome back to Hear More Evil, and thank you for joining us. I'm Trent here with Kevin. Hello, Kevin. Hello. We recently talked about Satanic Panic on Speak All Evil, Movies with Satan, uh, and we are going to be talking about uh, director Ty West coming up on our Hotel Motel episode. Um, So the movie we're talking about now is related to both of those episodes. Um, I Well, I guess I didn't really choose this. We kind of both... I had mentioned this uh, when we were talking about Satanic movies, and we decided to discuss the 2009 movie called The House of the Devil. This is written and directed and edited by Ty West. We talked about his film The Sacrament back on our Faith episode. This is available on Prime, Shudder, uh, free with ads on Tubi and Voodoo. You can rent it. House of the Devil is... Um, Pretty seeable out there. Um, This is, um, to me, a classic mid-aughts indie horror. And its main kind of uh, gag, if you will, is that it's a throwback to the 80s satanic panic movies. uh, And maybe even more fits that definition than a movie like uh, Shaitan that we talked about. Um, This is about a young college student named Samantha Hughes. She is living in the dorms and hating it. She's trying to get a place of her own. And she secures an apartment but needs to come up with the cash. Uh, She is uh, subsequently offered a day of, night of, babysitting gig by a complete stranger for a whole bunch more money than you would expect and decides that she has no choice but to take the offer. Um, I absolutely love this movie. I am pleasantly surprised by how well this holds up. I think that it is better now than it has ever been. I've seen this a few times, but it's been a little bit, a, a little while. Um, this is a classic. You've got an amazing cast. I think this is a perfect indie horror movie. They don't get much better than The House of the Devil, in my opinion. Kevin, what did you think about this? Yeah, so this, I guessed wrong that you were going to pick this for the Satanic Panic episode, so I jumped the gun and watched it. And it actually worked out great that we're doing it for the Patreon, because as I watched it, I also took a whole bunch of notes on it. So I uh, was really prepared for this Patreon. I had probably only seen this maybe the one time, maybe around the time it came out, because I think this is Ty West's second movie, right? But this is really his coming out party. I loved this at the time. I I didn't really remember a whole bunch of it. And when I was kind of doing the Satanic Panic trailer, it was fun to dig up some clips of this. But I remembered it like super wrong. So I loved it like a thousand times more Uh, Just watching it now, you know, 12 years or so after it came out, you know, everybody always talks about Ty West movies being these like real slow burns and very atmospheric. He has some comparisons thrown out there to like, you know, Hitchcockian suspense. Um, This one, I missed a whole lot of shit the first time I watched this. I pretty much remembered a great performance from Jocelyn Donahue as Samantha. Remembered absolutely loving her. Of course, I remember Tom Noonan, who is now haunting our show. He just keeps showing up in everything that we're watching. And I remember, you know, like A.J. Bowen, who's in a whole bunch of like the Joe Swanberg flicks and things like that. But I missed like one. I missed D. Wallace showing up in the beginning of the movie as the landlady for the apartment Samantha's looking for. Uh, love that. I missed everything about the eclipse. I missed all kinds of legit horror things that did not wait until the final sequence, the climax. You know, this movie isn't really that much of a slow burn. I would say by the time she gets to the house, like, this is pretty 
it's pretty, you know, it gets going pretty good. Uh, I miss the family photos that Samantha comes along or comes across at the house. I miss the pizza call. Um, I just, I missed a whole bunch of this. It was really, really enjoyable to sit down and watch it with my podcast eyes. Uh, and I just en- enjoyed the hell out of it. It's it's great. This is why Ty West all of a sudden exploded onto the scene. Uh, very well deserved for this movie. It, it, you are right calling this a classic. Yeah, and speaking of the cast and, and having missed things, I had no idea uh, and, and really wouldn't have at the couple times that I saw this movie. Um, Greta Gerwig uh, is in this, plays a uh, supporting uh, part. The... Um, Writer and director of the uh, multi Academy Award nominated Lady Bird from a couple of years ago, and also um, directed the uh, Academy Award nominated Little Women, which actually did win the Academy Award for uh, costume design. Um, she's really great in this, and it was funny because I was watching it now, and I was like, "Man, I love uh, whoever's playing Megan." Yeah, I don't recognize Greta Gerwig on sight. I thought, man, for especially for a supporting uh, a supporting part, she's doing. A great job and I actually I was thinking in terms of all the the performances all the acting in this is great um, I loved um, Samantha Hughes's character which is uh, Jocelyn Donahue the way she plays that her part is so understated and that goes to one of the things that I really like about this movie um, you mentioned Tom Noonan he was the tooth fairy in Manhunter uh, what was the other what else did we just see him in uh, I'm not sure what else we just saw him in, but he was in Ty West's first movie, The Roost. And and uh, who is Dee Wallace? I don't remember. She plays the landlady, but who? what do we know her from? Dee Wallace? Like Cujo. Oh, um, okay. E.T. Yeah, and um, the woman who plays um, Mrs. Oh, did you notice that uh, the the couple that hires the babysitter are the Almonds? And did you connect that to Mr. Allman from The Shining who yes. hires Jack Torrance? I was like, Allman, Shining Nod, the guy who hires Jack? Absolutely. Has, has to be intentional. Um, my favorite, not my favorite thing, because I love everything about this, but um, like I was saying, it's like a, an homage to your classic 80s satanic panic movies. I love the way this movie plays its homage. It's more 80s than 80s. It's so perfect, and it's not overdone. A lot of times, I don't love when movies try to do that, like, oh, this is a throwback to this era or this genre, and they do it so over the top and so ridiculous, like, oh, this is supposed to be the 80s, so every person has to have a fanny pack, be yeah. listening to Cindy Lauper, and put on some leg warmers, like, yeah, oh, neon, it's Wham. It must neon be, windbreakers. Just, and... Yeah, yeah, it's like such overkill. This does it so perfectly. It's so authentic. That's what I really liked about the throwback thing. Right from the opening, the the um, title credits just doesn't get more 80s. And they even, I appreciated, um, somebody ponied up for some actual 80s hits. Not Cyndi Lauper, but, you know, the fix yeah. is in this. Oh, and they're the great. Greg, Greg Kinband, like, perfect, perfect, perfect on the Walkman. You got the 80s dance scene on the couch, up the stairs. The babysitter is grooving. Um, it's so good in that sense. I think that it is the perfect, like, throwback thing. Um, and it does the classic based on true events. This sets up telling you uh, a little bit about the satanic panic of the 80s and then goes on to tell you that this is based on true events. So it's just classic up and down, and it's so authentically so. I just I was totally into it right away. Yeah, just when you thought that you couldn't love Jocelyn Donahue anymore, they give you that dance scene in the house. She's 
you know. So this house is out in the middle of nowhere. It's nowhere near the college campus that she's at. Megan drives her out there. And, you know, she's sort of a little creeped out because she discovers that the babysitting gig isn't your traditional babysitting gig. This is uh, for an adult that you won't actually even see. And the people are going out, but don't worry. They're having a little eclipse party, and they're going to be back by um, by midnight. Um, so Jocelyn's settling in. She's kind of getting used to the house. And then, boom, she hits play on the Walkman and gives you, like, such a classic, lovable dance scene. And, I mean, I, I love her. I, I, I don't know if you've seen uh, – I know Dave watched it, but Anthony Scott Smith – has a movie called Come True that's out now. I think it's still like a $5.99 or $6.99 rental. Well, he did my favorite piece from the anthology movie Holidays. And Jocelyn Donahue is the star of that particular piece of the anthology. In fact, she's basically the only character in the entire thing, carries it the entire way. And this also, uh, that that particular segment also has to do with, uh, with a Walkman. Um, and some headphones. So um, she definitely uh, is getting typecast a little bit there. Uh, but she's great. She's in. Uh, she was just in Doctor Sleep. She's in Insidious 2. She was in... Uh, I, I watched this movie because I loved her so much in, in this and in the holiday segment that I watched another horror flick she did called Dead Awake. Uh, I'll let everybody know right now. You can skip over that one. I watched it for us all, and it's not good, um, despite having some pretty good talent on screen. Um, but again, like small, small setting, like a lot of Ty West flicks, small cast, but everybody was was really perfect. And then you had Mrs. Allman, so Mary Warrenoff, who I had never heard of, but looking her up, uh, she did a ton with Andy Warhol, with Roger Corman, uh, Devil's Rejects. You know, Rob Zombie loves to bring some of these actors back. Um, Chopping Mall, which is a classic slasher. Uh, speaking of 80s, probably a little over the top 80s, like what you were talking about, Trent. Um, and then like Charlie's Angels, Knight Rider. So uh, I, I don't know how at this young of his career, Ty West was getting all these people to come out of the woodwork for him for what? The Roost was like 20 grand or something. And, and this had a $900,000 budget, which that's that's no small sum of it's money nothing. to come up with. But it's nothing in the world of of Hollywood and the people that he's getting in these movies. Just like he must be, a, he must be a cool guy to work with, uh, because people have no problem coming out for a Ty West movie. It really completes the whole '80s love letter thing because not only does he just totally nail the actual filmmaking, but he nails the cast, and on top of that, he brings in new talent like Greta Gerwig, who would uh, go on to be huge now. And um, also, did you know um, the uh, 911 operator is played by Lena, Lena Dunham. Dunham? I'm sure you did. <laughs> sure you didn't miss that. Yeah, so, so she, all she, kinds she, of, will, uh, she shows up in uh, the Ty West movie we're going to talk about for Hotel Motel. She shows up in The Innkeepers. Um, and Lena Dunham just did a really kind of surprising... Um, cameo in another horror movie that I just watched. I won't name it because I don't want to give away her cameo or the movie. Um, the, I was very, very excited for this movie to come out in 2021. I was very disappointed by the movie, but I will say Lena Dunham's cameo in it is super awesome and super shocking. Um, so yeah, again, like where was Tyler? He gets Lena Dunham to just call up and, and be the 911 operator voice. And then in the innkeepers, like she's just like this weird barista who's in it for like thirty seconds, right? Yeah. Well, this is before. I mean, I think this is before, probably just before. I don't remember when Girls blew up, but yeah, um, just seems like just like um, 
kind of the right time in the right place. Um, Jocelyn Donahue carries a lot of this movie in that mm-hmm. lead role. Like you say, it's a small cast and a lot. I'd say, I mean, the majority of this movie is just her. She has yeah. to do so much of this movie by herself. And I loved the approach that she took, which is in line with the movie as a whole. She took a very understated, very chill. She's not at any time doing like acting capital a there are so many times especially in lower budget indie stuff uh horror stuff like this where you know people are really just going for it and you you, they won't let you forget that they're acting capital a i loved (laughs) her very like she's so laid back and she just seems like kind of a laid back kind of slightly aloof she even says that her friend calls her like out to lunch or something like you just get that vibe from her and she just really undersells it i thought it was really effective and tom noonan in Incredible in this. I thought he did a great job. He reminded me very much of the tall man from Phantasm. Good call. Because because of the way this is shot, I, I mean, he seems like a fairly tall guy, but there are all these shots where it, it's kind of the way it's framed and looking up at him and the way the way he's imposed on the scenes, he seems about nine feet tall. Uh, so I got a big time Phantasm vibe on him. Yeah, I was going to say, you're right. Jocelyn Donahue has to carry the entire movie. And Tom Noonan is not in it a ton, but man, when he is on screen, he is chewing up those minutes. The whole Very good. the whole scene when she first gets to the house and he is kind of talking her through, you know, what the night's going to entail, what they expect from her. He keeps having these like forgetful moments and sort of repeating himself. Uh, it's just so well acted and like really keeps you off base. But again, like you called out, Jocelyn Donahue is playing it so like naive college girl uh, and so laid back that the whole scene is like, it's perfect. It's perfect. Tom Noonan destroys this when he's given opportunities. And then even Mary Warnoff that I just mentioned, Mrs. Allman, um, in it even less, uh, but still like really steals the screen. I mean, really any actor, I mean, even Dee Wallace in the beginning is a landlady. It's cute. I'm sure that, you know, they roped her into showing up for a morning and just filming that, you know, uh, beginning sequence when Samantha's looking for the apartment. But, you know, even she is just like perfectly Dee Wallace. And it's this great, like innocent, um, oh, I have someone else that wants the apartment, but you know what? Like you remind me of my daughter, so I'm going to give you this. Like the whole movie for being a movie about Satanism and devil worship is incredibly wholesome. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, there's no yeah, you, you at no point do you get the babysitter uh, in the, you know, going pantless in the football jersey or, you know, there's no, there's no nightgowns. There's no sweaty, uh, sweaty wife beater scenes in this at all. Uh, you don't get any of that stuff. No shower scene. Um, this is playing it straight. No, no blue stuff here. I really loved how the story is advanced when you start getting the reveals, because the way that this is done, I think your first reveal is through the character of Megan, played by Greta Gerwig, who is Samantha's friend and doesn't want her to accept this gig, and she's driven her to the job. Um, And that's your first, when you really know, I mean, you know what's going, you know something's going on here. It's a horror movie. Um, But that's when you first really know, you start to get a taste of how bad this is going to go. And Samantha doesn't know. So you're shown you're shown the first reveal with Megan um, unbeknownst to Samantha and then you almost have a reveal for Samantha in the house as she's sort of like poking around. 
the movie shows you like the grand reveal and this is only about an hour into it's 95 minutes long so about an hour into it um there's an almost reveal for samantha and a pretty much full reveal for the audience but she is unaware she comes so close to finding out yeah but she doesn't and you do and i thought that was really effective just a a, a small thing that like kept the tension sort of ramping up well and aj bowen's character is great too um, and again, that's another thing that I missed the first time I watched this. I just, I must not have been paying attention. I just, you know, I fucked up the first time I saw this. I, I don't even know why I said I liked it. I missed so much of it. I was probably just <laughs> caught up in the Ty West craze. But AJ Bowen is as Victor Ullman as the son of the Almonds. I totally missed that the first time I watched this. His character is so good, like almost laughably like psychotic, you know? Um, but I, I missed everything. I missed the, the, you know, the pizza call that you can clearly hear his voice because, you know, Mr. Ullman is, is very adamant that she calls this number to get a pizza ordered and throws her some more cash for a pizza. Classic. Um, classic. Yeah. So his characters and his character does, I guess, most of like the really messed up stuff leading up to our climax. And man, oh man, that climax is something else. That it's it's one of the my favorite endings of this type of a movie. I, I don't want to say like favorite endings of all time or recently, but this particular type of like approach to a horror movie, Ty West knows how to stick the landing. He does it with this. Yes. I literally yes. just finished the innkeepers. He does it with the innkeepers. Uh, did not really do it in the sacrament as I was properly roasted over during our faith episode. <laughs> um, and I don't really remember the roost. It's been a long time since I saw the roost, but um, he, st- he sticks the ending on this complete with like, you know, there's that really messed up looking individual in the climax that had a very, uh, very haunt that we just watched and talked about. Sure. Also yeah. very uh, Gary Oldman in Hannibal. Um, it was just like, it just, it gives me the creeps to think about it. Yeah. I loved the final act when, when things really come to a head here, the whole last act is great. You get all the payoff. I remembered it for some reason after the first time I saw this, I remembered it being mellower, a mellower finale, but it's not at all. Um, so I, I knew that because I had seen it subsequently, but I think it is the perfect climax, perfect ending. And then the very final scene is just like Italian chef kiss. And that's like, there you go, folks, $900,000. Boom. This is a perfect indie horror movie in every way. Yes. And one thing that I've noticed with uh, Ty West, at least with House of the Devil and now the Innkeepers, but... Um, I went back and watched this with headphones because oh man, his, love the score. his attention to not just the score, his attention to sound. And I know I talk about this a lot on the show, but it really does mean like the world to me. Um, yeah, go. I highly recommend it. If you're listening and you haven't seen House of the Devil or it's been a while, go watch it and see if you can watch it in the dark with some good like earbuds or headphones mm. on because the sound direction and how disorienting he is a lot of times very jarring uh he totally pulls some like trent reznor type shit where all of a sudden something happens and he's gonna crank the sound up on you like 40 dbs just to mess with you 
Um, but the house itself is sort of a character in the house of the devil. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And he uses definitely. he uses the sounds uh, of the house very very well. And then there's a total real life Amityville horror moment on the set. And you can actually see it. If you go back and watch the movie knowing this, you will see this. The house apparently was legitimately infested with ladybugs, and they couldn't really do anything about it. So if you go back and watch the movie, there's tons of scenes where you can just see some ladybugs like crawling on the wall. And Ty West was like, well, <laughs> we, we, can't, we can't pay the Orkin man. The budget's 900K, so we're just going to deal with it. It's a very creepy, very scary house, and you're right, it is absolutely a character, and this is such an easy turn off the lights, put the phone away, and really get into, it makes it so easy to get into the vibe of this, um, I, I really would recommend trying to get into that groove, and, and, and again, in that sense, with the the attention to the sounds, like you mentioned, again, this is like one of those movies that does what it's paying tribute to better than many of the things that it's paying tribute to. Like, it's really successful in taking the love of something and then, like, updating it and doing it better than a lot of the things that it's loving. So um, it just it's just works so perfectly. I, I forgot to mention earlier in the movie when uh, a classic, to me, a classic scene, a classic 80s horror uh, trope. Earlier in the movie, when Samantha is first going for this um, babysitting gig, she makes the call on a cell phone. This, or I'm not a cell phone, excuse me. She makes the call on a payphone. Um, it's like a, there's a want ad on a bulletin board. You know, this is old school stuff. Babysitter needed, and she um, she calls the number at a at a payphone because she's so excited to get right on this and gets an answering machine, leaves a message, and she's walking away from the payphone. And the payphone rings, which is like, <laughs> that is the most textbook 80s power move ever, is calling someone back on the payphone that they just hung up on. Oh, how did they know? <laughs> you know, that's like, it's just I mean, 101, so good. Many a drug deal were done in our youth, I think, uh, <laughs> utilizing this technique. Yeah. Uh, there's there's something, I'm, I'm shocked that you haven't brought this up yet, because you are always very astute, but you have your classic must-have Night of the Living Dead on TV moment in this one. Um, is it? Oh, I might. I, I missed it. Yeah, Frightmare TV is when she's like, I think she gets the pizza. She's turning the TV on. Uh, it's not Creature Double Feature. I believe they're calling it Frightmare TV. So it's like Saturday Night Horror Movies, and it's Night of the Living Dead. I missed it. Well, there That's you like go. Your another thing. another That's I your dotted. Bell. Yes. I always wait for another you to ring T that crossed. <laughs> um, there's another thing that he does that I I definitely wouldn't have noticed uh, had I not been watching it sort of uh, preparing to talk about it. Um, he does this really interesting thing that I think a lot of amateur filmmakers or just some hacks uh, would have done. So they sort of set it up that, okay, she's only going to be there for four hours. They tell you that. And they tell you we're going to be home by midnight. So you kind of understand that this is taking place somewhere between 8 p.m. and midnight. You got a four-hour window. But what I love that Ty West did is rather than hammer us with scenes of her looking at a clock, you never see time at all. So it's another right. way he sort of keeps right. you on your toes and kind of keeps you off balance. It keeps the suspense up. You know, I feel like some some amateur filmmakers or someone not as good at what Ty West is doing here would have had all of these 
you know, the clock struck nine. Ooh, she only has three hours to go. The clock struck ten. Um, or you would have caught her walking by like the old school microwave with like the, you know, 80s. Ooh, we have LED timers. Yep. Uh, at no Definitely. point do I remember seeing an actual clock in this movie. So you never knew where she was on her four hour journey or how close you were to midnight. That is a great point. You don't. You All you know is that it's four hours and they're supposed to be home shortly after midnight. You don't know at any time how long it's been. The only timekeeping in this movie, which is so effective, are the phone calls that she makes to her friend Megan. And she has to call Megan's landline. So every so often, she gets nervous again and goes to the landline and calls her friend Megan and gets her friend Megan's answering machine. And Megan has like the trick answering machine message that <laughs> so great. people used to do where the, mes- the, the, the outgoing message is, hey, oh, I'm not here, you know, so that people call and they think they're talking to you for a second and then you drop it on them that it's the machine. So she keeps getting that message and every time she goes and makes that call, it's ratcheting it up even more because she's wondering where Megan is, who's supposed to come back and pick her up. And it's like a very particular 80s form of anxiety when you couldn't... And so you feel it when you're watching, like it's so powerless. She just keeps getting this machine. Where is Megan? Megan is not home. Can't text Megan. Can't tweet at Megan. Can't see if Megan has been on Instagram in the past hour. There is no, where the hell is Megan? All you can do is leave these uh, hopeless messages and hope that somehow she gets home and hears them. Loved that. Very effective. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of subtle things that he does in this. <clears throat> and it's interesting like we know what it was like to not have a cell phone and to have to figure out how to get in touch with your friends and how to where everyone's going to meet up and what time. I'm curious to see, you know, some of the younger folks that would watch these movies now if they if they miss this part of the anxiety or if they actually understand it even more because they don't know what life without instant gratification and communication is. So I wonder if there's some viewers out there that are watching this and they're like, oh my God, this is making me understand what it would not be like to have an iPhone glued to my hands. <laughs> or if they're just like, I don't even get that. Uh, we understand it now from when you're out somewhere and your phone dies. That's the only, that's like the new not being able to uh, get in touch with someone is when your phone dies and for an hour you're like, oh my god! Yeah, I gotta, I gotta fix this. You're like, ah, you get, you know, then you like get to your computer and you're like, ah, let me see, make sure I hadn't, you know, who, who knows what I've missed all afternoon? I haven't had my phone. It's uh, you just gnawing at your gut the whole time. And then uh, usually, like, you finally get back in communication. You haven't missed anything. There's, there's been nothing. It just seemed like a long time where important things must have been happening, but nope, not at all. Nope. Uh, pretty good, uh, good gore in this. Um, this this yeah. is a slow burn, and and it's not a it's not a splatter movie by any means, but good solid gore in this movie. This is a full out horror movie. You do get that element. Yeah, and 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 like I said at the beginning, it's not as slow as I, I think. If you read a lot about this, you will see it called a slow burn, a lot a lo- in a lot of reviews. It's not as slow as you think, though. It, it, you know, maybe the no, build-up to I, I her so. getting to the house, but I would say, like I said back at the beginning, once you get to the house, there's there's plenty of meat uh, for the rest of this movie, too. There's plenty of action. It's pretty well-paced. Um, again, you get some like creepy things, and like you mentioned, some almost reveals that sort of like, ooh, something's going to happen, and then you kind of go back to like college kid ordering a pizza. <laughs> Uh, college kid dancing to Walkman. So 
It's interspersed for sure, but I think you know one of the things that would make you think, oh, this is definitely a slow burn, is just how bonkers the last like ten minutes are. So anytime you 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 know you ratchet it up that much, I think you could probably consider the previous eighty-five minutes or so as slower. But I, it's not as it's not as slow as I remembered it at all. After this movie, Ty West would go on to make a movie called The Innkeepers, which we're going to talk about on the next Speak All Evil episode, which is another favorite of mine. Um, then after that, The Sacrament, which we talked about, I didn't like as much. I never saw, he. I think his last feature film was called In the Valley of Violence, and it's some kind of like western war it's not explicitly horror i assume that it has some darker elements in it Uh, but after that he seems to have gone pretty much exclusively television ever since um in in the valley of violence he's done he does tons of tv stuff um but seems to be out of the feature film game which is a bummer because he had so much talent yeah it's a super bummer i never saw in the valley of of, of violence and it's interesting that it's called a western um but it's produced by jason blum um, oh, is it really good? Really good cast. I mean, Ethan Hawke, Tasia Farmiga. Right. Yeah, it looks maybe interesting, got, right? Yeah. Yeah, you got Travolta in there. Maybe we get some dance <laughs> scenes in the western. Uh, but yeah, he would go on. He did Wayward Pines, which um, I, I would recommend it. I would actually recommend reading the books. Uh, the books are really, really good. Um, Shyamalan got involved with the TV series. Ty West did uh, a couple episodes, if I remember correctly, directed them. Um, but like the Exorcist TV show, he get in on some of that, and that was really good. Um, season one, anyway. I, I never made it through season two. Um, short-lived Netflix show that um, I loved called Chambers. Was super pissed when that was canceled after just one season. Um, and most recently, uh, one called Them, which is getting really, really good reviews on Prime. Um, and you can watch that now. So yeah, it's interesting that somebody with like this much of a grasp of how to take a budget and take 90 minutes and make them absolutely watchable um yeah i'm hoping that he has i'm hoping he has something uh something coming up feature film wise soon he did also do um after the house of the devil he would do cabin fever 2 um which is pretty bonkers i I left Uh, that off didn't he like end up taking his name off it or something um, possibly. I actually thought that that was like Lucky McKee. I forgot that that was Ty West. Um, yeah, that's it's it's pretty bonkers. It's definitely uh, a lot different than the original Cabin Fever, which is also a pretty polarizing one. Um, he would act in Your Next. He would do a segment on the popular VHS anthology. He would do the ABCs of Death. Um, he would do the M is for Miscarriage, which is like maybe one minute long. Uh, and really fucking gross. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I love Ty West. I wish we could see him put his name on, uh, on another, on another, uh, full length. I feel like um, a lot the, of, go ahead. No, I was just going to say about the TV stuff he's doing is cool. You know, it's, we've been pretty lucky. We're on a good, like almost decade long streak now of like horror in television, um, being a very, a very viable source. Like companies are putting money into it. They're throwing actual talent um, the actual horror talent at it. Um, and, you know, shows are actually showing some longevity. Um, so, you know, good for him there, but make another movie. Yeah, you know, it, it seems like a lot of horror uh, filmmakers of his generation have turned to opportunities in TV. Now that's like the new 
um, some studio is going to throw a bunch of money at you to remake whatever horror movie and you're not and people aren't going to like it very much like i feel like the old model was you in in indie horror you break out with a couple well-received indie features you show a bunch of talent next thing you know somebody wants you to remake an asian horror movie or a dutch horror movie or some great movie that doesn't need to be remade at all and you do kind of a crummy job of it and maybe you do two of those and you kind of fall off the map and now like everybody's like what happened to this guy he made some really good movies and now he's just like doing this hollywood crap now you have all of these opportunities in television and not only that you have original opportunities people aren't like oh you got to remake whatever they're willing to try new stories and new ideas original concepts i feel like that must uh to some people be a lot more attractive hey i can go do this i've got big budgets i've got quality casts i've got chances to do original things i don't need to remake mirrors or something like that and have it get panned you know i can do all this other stuff so i i could totally see that as being an attractive avenue for some of these guys like neil marshall another one we talked about um that have sort of tended to disappear into television after maybe getting frustrated with some of the the hollywood studio uh feature system yeah i mean I'm, i'm curious to watch neil marshall's new one that i think is out now i think it's on hulu or netflix now uh yeah i want to i want to see that too uh, a little, I mean, he got a little like medieval for me, um, especially after the descent where he did, um, doomsday, uh, doomsday. Yeah. And then like Centurion, right. Um, his, oh, his, I forgot 29, about that one. his 2019 Hellboy wasn't bad, but, uh, the reckoning is the new one that's out now with his, uh, I believe fiance, Charlotte Kirk, <laughs> you bring, uh, starring you, in it. So you bring I'm that already up, a little every, every time Neil Marshall comes up. You bring up his fiance. She stars in his new movie that they live with. It, like it's Neil Marshall now in your mind can never be anything other than the guy whose fiance is in his next movie. It's <laughs> something that's really captured your imagination about that. I'm just calling out nepotism, I guess. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Okay, no, well, that makes sense, right? <laughs> but hey, he he you did never feel the direct. It. <laughs> he did direct one of the greatest episodes of Game of Thrones uh, that the series would ever have. Series called or uh, episode called Blackwater. Oh right, um, right. Just ridiculous. So right. I mean, and you know, the dude made the descent, so he's he's always going to have a special place in my heart. So and dog, let's dog go, soldiers let's... is one of my favorites as well. Yep, yep. Good call. <laughs> well, good call. It's in your wolf house. I haven't uh, I haven't rewatched the innkeepers yet, so I'm really excited, especially after having uh, freshly seen the House of the Devil. Can't recommend this one enough. And uh, even though it's been a few years, I'm going to go ahead and still recommend the innkeepers. Although it has been a few years, really love that one. So check them out. Yeah, I'll concur. I just finished the innkeepers. It's still dope. 